You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A phishing-as-a-service offering on the dark web bypasses MFA. The Worock Cyber Espionage Group is active in Central Asia and the Middle East. Print Stealer and the evolution of commodity malware. Sharkbot malware re-emerged in Google Play. Black Cat and Alf V claim credit for an attack on the Italian energy sector. Joe Kerrigan shares stats on social engineering. Our guest is Angela Redman from Bar Advisory with six cybersecurity KPIs. And the Los Angeles Unified School District was hit with ransomware. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, September 6th, 2022. Yesterday, researchers at security firm ReSecurity reported an interesting discovery in the criminal-to-criminal market. They found a new C2C offering called either Evil Proxy or Moloch that sells phishing as a service. And we note in passing that the hoods are growing increasingly direct and literal in the way they name their wares. Evil Proxy is interesting in that it shows some ability to bypass multi-factor authentication. It's a commodity service, but an advanced one. As ReSecurity observes... The productized underground service like Evil Proxy enables threat actors to attack users with enabled MFA on the largest scale without the need to hack upstream services. That is, it represents a more direct mode of attack than the recent Twilion compromise did. It also represents an advance in criminal capability. Reverse proxy and cookie injection attacks have been seen before as ways of evading multi-factor authentication, but hitherto it had been state-directed intelligence services who'd been observed using these techniques. The methods are now being made available to criminals. Security firm ESET has released research into a threat group it's calling WORAC. They characterize it as sophisticated, and while sophisticated is thrown around a lot, in this case ESET uses it with some justice. They say... WORAC is a cyber espionage group that develops its own tools as well as leveraging existing tools to compromise its targets. 
The motive is espionage. Stealing information from their victims is what they believe the operators are after because they focus on high-profile entities in Asia and Africa, targeting various sectors, both private and public, but with a specific emphasis on government entities. It's unclear whom Worok is working for, despite some circumstantial overlap with other groups, some of them associated with Beijing. ESET says, Activity times and toolset indicate possible ties with TA-428, but we make this assessment with low confidence. Their custom toolset includes two loaders, one in C++ and one in C-sharp.net, and one PowerShell backdoor. And ESET invites contributions from other researchers, saying, While our visibility is limited, we hope that shedding light on this group will encourage other researchers to share information. Zscaler researchers report that Print Stealer, an info stealer being traded in the C2C market, turns out to have been designed to defraud the criminal customers who've bought and employed it. The malware itself has been developed from open sources and legacy malware, mostly Async Rat and StormKitty. Zscaler says many parts of the Print Stealer code that have been borrowed from other malware families are not used but are still present in the binary as dead, unreachable code. Async Rat gives Print Stealer a multifunctional remote access trojan, and StormKitty contributes the information stealer. Code similarities suggest that Print Stealer's developers may also have been involved with WorldWind and DarkEye malware. What the criminal customers don't count on getting with their purchase is a back door the developers inserted to funnel the stolen information back to themselves. Zscaler says, The back door sends copies of victims' exfiltrated data gathered by other threat actors to a private telegram chat monitored by the builder's developers. While this untrustworthy behavior is nothing new in the world of cybercrime, the victims' data end up in the hands of multiple threat actors increasing the risks of one or more large-scale attacks to follow. The bad faith is interesting, but not particularly surprising. What's most striking about Print Stealer is the waypoint it marks in the continuing evolution of malware into a poorly constructed but good enough commodity suitable for operation and even development by relatively unsophisticated threat actors. NCC Group's Fox IT unit reports that SharkBot has resurfaced in an improved form, versions 2 and 2.5, carried by two compromised apps that were made available in Google Play. Mr. Phone Cleaner and Keelhavy Mobile Security, the two compromised security apps between them attracted some 60,000 downloads before being removed from Google Play. The newer versions of SharkBot retain the malware's original functionality, including key logging, SMS interception, overlay attacks that display a phishing site, and remote control over affected devices. To these, version 2.5 adds a cookie stealer. The operators have also expanded their targeting to include victims in Spain, Australia, Poland, Germany, the United States, and Austria. The Black Cat Alf V ransomware privateers have claimed responsibility for an attack against Italian renewable energy provider GSE. This is the most recent in a string of attacks against Western European energy sector targets, bleeping computer reports. It had earlier hit Enispa, 
the largest energy company in Italy, with minimal effect on the utility's operation, and has also claimed the attacks against natural gas pipeline and electrical grid operator Creos Luxembourg SA and the German oil supply company Oil Tanking. Black Cat Alf V is a Russian gang widely believed to represent a rebranding of the Black Matter Dark Side group, and so this seems to be a continuation of privateering in Russia's hybrid war. VX Underground claims that someone is posting 11.84 gigabytes of United States military contractor and military reserve data. The data was acquired in a 2022 breach of databases in Puerto Rico, and those who are advertising the data dump on Telegram say they're making the data available in response to the atrocious acts that U.S. has been involved with all these years without regard for human lives. It's unclear who's leaking, but VX Underground speculates. We suspect the now-defunct Conti Ransomware Group is distributing United States military data they acquired when they breached Puerto Rico. So, those responsible might be a Conti successor, Conti alumni, or even a revenant Conti itself. VX Underground is an online repository for malware, a not-for-profit that collects malicious code. It's not a criminal organization, but rather a resource for researchers. Social media continue to present an OPSEC challenge to Russian forces. Ukrainian operators are said to be catfishing Russian soldiers, using dating profiles to induce the lovelorn to reveal unit locations and other sensitive information. It seems unlikely that targets could actually be developed in this way, but target indicators certainly might. A target is something you can shoot at. A target indicator is something, roughly, that tells you where to look for something to shoot at. In any case, there's an enduring lesson here. Don't be a sucker on social media. Shakespeare knew that. As he wrote, Wars and lechery, nothing else holds fashion. And finally, school's back in session, even if the big school district gets schooled with ransomware. Details are sparse, but the Los Angeles Unified School District has disclosed a ransomware attack it discovered over the weekend. School remains in session, and the district has called in lots of federal help, saying, after the district contacted officials over the holiday weekend, the White House brought together the Department of Education, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency to provide rapid incident response support to Los Angeles Unified, building on the immediate support by local law enforcement agencies. At the district's request, agencies marshaled significant resources to assess protect and advise Los Angeles Unified's response, as well as future planned mitigation protocols. So, from Van Nuys to Canoga Park, from Northridge to San Pedro, cheer your teacher up, Los Angeles kids, and bring a nice apple sometime this week. After the break, Joe Kerrigan has the latest stats on social engineering and our guest Angela Redman from Bar Advisory with six cybersecurity KPIs. Stay with us.
Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Security and compliance firm Bar Advisory recently released a white paper outlining how business leaders can use key performance indicators, or KPIs, and scorecards to measure and manage their organization's cybersecurity posture. Angela Redmond is director of Bar Advisory's Cyber Risk Advisory Practice. Starting kind of at a high level, cybersecurity KPIs are a group of metrics that encompass a cybersecurity scorecard. And a cybersecurity scorecard is really an evaluation and a collection of metrics that can be used to measure the overall effectiveness of a cybersecurity program from a high level. So you can think of the scorecard as a report card that gives users a snapshot into their organization's security posture at any given time. And the scorecards themselves will have several KPIs, each of which will provide a quantified measure against a predetermined cybersecurity indicator. And when thinking about KPIs, you want to make sure that they are metrics that are digestible, actionable, and measurable. So what does that mean? We can use an example. The number of open vulnerabilities is more of a data point. It doesn't provide you with much insight alone. You probably need a little bit more context to understand the pervasiveness of the issue. A better KPI could be the percentage of vulnerabilities closed on time or the number of critical open vulnerabilities. It really all depends on what matters to your organization. Well, do all of these get weighted equally? I mean, is it fair to say it depend each in each organization uh, may prioritize different things? Absolutely. So what we like to say at Bar as think about what you would want to know if you were sitting on a beach away from your job. 
you you don't really want to know absolutely everything cybersecurity related at your organization because you're on vacation. You want to enjoy yourself. You really want to focus on what truly matters and what can give you comfort to sleep at night. Well, if we look at the list here, I mean, the the six items, you have things like uh, things being unpatched, um, unknown devices on a network, open security incidents, uh, multi-factor authentication, um, users with privileged access, and uh, open risks from security assessments. It's a pretty comprehensive list here. Uh, which ones, if I were to prioritize, is, is, it, is that even something that it's fair to do? It's absolutely fair to do, but you do need to remember that you need to see the whole picture of cybersecurity on your scorecard. So you really mm-hmm. want to focus on, you know, making not all of these in the list might be applicable to your organization, but most of them probably are. How do you make sure that you're not just, you know, sort of playing, I don't know, regulatory bingo here and, and you know, che- checking off things, um, but, but making sure that it actually has an impact on how the organization handles things? Absolutely. That's that's very important. At Bar Advisory, we do audits, which sometimes can be a little bit more of a check-the-box mindset for some of our clients. With cybersecurity scorecards and KPIs, you really want to make sure that you have a conversation across your organization on what truly matters. Focus on what you care about and what impacts your business. What about translating this information to people throughout the organization? You know, I would imagine sharing this sort of information with an IT team or a security team, you're going to have to use different language than you would, say, with the board of directors. Absolutely. You do want to make sure that each individual KPI is assigned to one person. That's the person that's responsible for owning it. But overall, the management team owns the scorecard itself. So the management team is not necessarily going to want to care about every single KPI. They just want to see how, they just want to get a pulse of how the organization is doing. Um, We recommend at Bar Advisory that organizations have periodic reporting to the board of directors, but at more of a high level. Hmm. What are your recommendations for organizations who want to get started with this sort of thing? How do you set down this path? Absolutely. It's important to make sure that you have multiple perspectives from your organization. So what matters to one department could be critical, but they may be missing out on a key indicator that another group is responsible for. So when you're starting out putting together a scorecard, you want to make sure that you have representation throughout the organization together to discuss what's critical. And and what about the frequency of taking these measurements? How, How do you establish that? That can vary based on from organization to organization. We recommend at least monthly at first to take each measurement. Another thing that's critical from a frequency perspective is also making sure you're refreshing the KPIs. So KPIs can go stale from time to time if we're not really assessing and evaluating how the KPI, what purpose it's serving. We recommend at Bar Advisory at least twice a year that the KPIs themselves are reviewed for relevance. That's Angela Redmond from Bar Advisory.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, it's a story we covered uh, last week on the CyberWire. This is a, a release from the folks over at NordVPN mm-hmm. uh, written, by, written by Charles Whitmore, and it's titled How Widespread Are Social Engineering Attacks? I want to swing back around to this and uh, get your take on what's going on here, Joe. What caught your eye? Uh, well, first off, I love when people do surveys. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> they, they surveyed a thousand Americans yeah. to find out some information uh, about social engineering attacks. And they found that 84% of the people surveyed have experienced some kind of social engineering behavior, some hmm. kind of social engineering attack. Uh, one of the telling things here is that only 46% of the of people surveyed have heard the term social engineering. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, I'm not a big fan of the term. Uh, yeah. Because the first time I heard the term, I didn't think cybersecurity-related stuff at all, right? The first thing, first time I hear the term, I think building a better society, oh, right? Oh, I see. Or yeah. attempting to build a better society. Like intentionality and in, in building communities, right. that sort of thing, yeah. That's okay. what I think of. That's That was the first thing I, I thought of when I heard the term. And I said, what does it mean in this context? And they said, oh, and but the, the thing about it is it's a piece of jargon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the value of jargon is that it quickly communicates— uh, a, a broad piece of information in two words, social engineering. Right. So while I don't like the term, it's the term of art that we have. Right. right? So <laughs> right. I deal with it. We're stuck with it now. Right. Yeah, We're stuck yeah. with it. Social engineering, the term is here to stay. Yeah. So social engineering is the the vast array of, of techniques that bad guys use to get people to operate against their own interests. Mm. And it's a lot easier than saying that than just, just to say social engineering. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, interesting that... Uh, 84% of people have experienced these kind of attacks, like 40, uh, 48% have received suspicious emails with links or attachments. Yeah. Uh, I'll bet that's 48% people of the people know that they received that. I sure. think that it's probably much higher than this. I think these statistics are probably low. Yeah. Um, uh, suspicious texts, 39% have received those. 37% have received pop-up, pop-up advertisements that are difficult to close. Um, yeah, I know... <laughs> Where's the X? Where's the X? Right. I want to know where the other uh, 63% are browsing because that's where I want to browse. (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, Here's a a good one. uh, 32% have received suspicious emails from someone posing as an important person asking them to wire funds. Wow. 32%, that's a third of the people surveyed have received uh, impersonation scams. And the reason that is so high, and I think that might be accurate because it's pretty easy to spot that. Yeah. Uh, but that's so high because it works. Yeah. It works. It works. When it works, it pays out big. Huh. Uh, let's see. Tw- uh, 26% have had a uh, virus on their phone or computer. 
and 19% have had malware on the device redirect them to a fake version of a website. Hmm. I've had, uh, I, there is one incident I had early on in my career where somebody got into my, uh, my host file on my computer or somehow replaced the host file on my computer to stop me from going to Google. Huh. And I think it was when I installed some software uh, that w- that I, I got from a web browser. I, this was years and years and years ago yeah. before I was even uh, in in the security field and very early in my uh, my computer science. Yeah, my, my father fell victim to that once where his Google you know, got replaced by some other right. service that would pr- show you ads. Yeah, couldn't then, even go to Google yeah. because the host file was directing me somewhere else. Hmm. Wow. Um, 36% have fallen victim to phishing emails. Uh, I think that might be accurate. Uh, it might be it might be higher than that, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I mean, it depends on what you mean by falling for phishing emails, mm-hmm. right? I, I've fallen for a phishing email, for, a, for an impersonation-based phishing email. I, yeah. I tell that story frequently on Hacking Humans about how embarrassed I was when I went downstairs ready to talk with my boss after responding to uh, <laughs> responding to an email from some imposter and having somebody come out and go, that was a fake email. I'm like, <sighs> it's right. so embarrassing, you know? Right. Here I am, Joe Kerrigan, cybersecurity <laughs> expert, falling victim to a phishing email. <laughs> right. But it happens to everybody. <laughs> right. It, well, at, at least 36%. It can, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Uh, interesting. Interesting stats in here. Uh, 18% of people have had email accounts, social media, or financial accounts locked. Hmm. Uh, because as a result, 14% have had personal login details like usernames and passwords stolen uh, or items paid for and not received, which is interesting. 11% of people who responded have been scammed into investing their money by bogus promises of quick riches. Hmm. So 11% of people have admitted to going into some investment scam and losing money in the deal. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's Mm -hmm. huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, 11% have also had their work details, uh, login credentials stolen, which I think is also a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't know how long, how far back in the, in the time horizon this is, but it's, it's interesting. What do you suppose, I mean, these are, I, I find some of these uh, statistics surprising. Right. But what, how do you think we come at this? What's the, it sounds like to me a lot of this is awareness or lack of awareness. Yeah, I I, I think you're right. The, the big the big issue is that people a lot of people don't understand that that uh, well security is not on top of mind. Mm. You know, I have this theory about this, and this is just my speculation. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's that the rapid development of of computer technology over the past couple of years. A past couple of decades, let's say, mm-hmm. right, has really, re- I mean, it's vastly different today than it was 30 years ago. Mm. So from a human perspective, a lot of this stuff is a black box to people. Mm. And people believe that computers are these magical boxes or these, you know, these technological marvels, if you want to call it that, not magical boxes. Yeah. I don't want to seem like I'm, I'm belittling people, yeah. but they're, they are technological marvels. But, um, it seems that people forget that on the other end of that communication channel may not be someone who is everything they say they are. Mm. And the the explosion of this availability of this kind of communication, we've never had this before in human history. Yeah. Right? It's all new. Uh, so we're kind of working our way through that. So really, we have to, as, as a species— uh, come to understand what it is that we've created here, what this this thing, the internet, is, you know? Right. And and that not everybody on it is an honest and upright person, and that when a computer says something, 
It only says that because a human told it to say that. Right. 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 And that human may not be a good guy. Yeah. He may be a bad guy. Yeah. And I think that's important. Everybody has to realize that. Yeah. And spread the word. And spread the word. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, again, this is a report uh, from the folks over at NordVPN. Uh, definitely some interesting stats there. Worth a look. Yeah, I love all. I love these articles with all the stats. I, I probably bored your listeners by <laughs> going through all the stats, but I'm like, ooh, stats. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my us. pleasure, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.